Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gate, ready to go. OutKick 360 is back. Wednesday edition NFL Drafty, plenty to discuss in that regard. Plus, Trey Wallace of OutKick.com will join us. College football headlines, SEC headlines. There's going to be someone new taking over for the NCAA in whatever direction we we tend to go in, in college athletics. Mark Emmert stepping down. We'll get the latest there from Trey. Uh, later in today's show, in hour number three, Brock Heward of Fox Sports with uh, USFL broadcast. We'll talk NFL, college football, and much more with Brock. That's just around the corner. Primary complaint as well in 45 minutes. Gentlemen, good afternoon. I know people may stop believing me if I say it every single day, but I actually mean it when I say I'm excited about today's show. (laughs) I'm going to let everyone decide that watches or listens when I don't mean it, when I'm not excited about the show, but I want everyone to listen to me and believe me when I say today I'm excited about this show. I think that Hutton is sad today because Mark Emmert is one of his favorite people oh, yeah. in all of sports, and uh, he's not going to be able to carry on. Well, with you know, him I, I don't like people that you know are in are, are placeholders for positions of power. I won't say I don't like them; I just don't respect them. You know, it's like the, the Queen is a placeholder in in England. No, I'm anti-queen. Don't steal the queen. Mark Emmert has. I mean, he's essentially this. He's playing the same role for the NCAA. He took a step back from NIL, and I lost all respect for the him. Queen's got more power than Mark, uh, and that's saying something. Well, he's yeah. He's if the, you're counting corgis, sure. He's someone overseeing an outdated institution that has to change, and that the, the Supreme Court ruling completely blew up their entire business model. And now that NIL is involved, they have. Nothing they can do. It's completely outdated. I don't want to get back into the whole you know, Pete Rose argument, but to me it's very similar to the baseball establishment saying you just never bet on baseball. You can't bet ever on the sport and saying he's out of the Hall of Fame for that reason. Well, things have evolved. you got DraftKings spots and FanDuel spots now all over the game. You're going to move a team to Vegas. I look at this the same way with the NCAA right now. Um, Greg Sankey has spoken – on this, Nicole Auerbach actually. Let's hear from out to our him. leader, our leader of college sports, Greg Sankey. Yeah, so <laughs> Greg Sankey. He, he's got no interest in the NCAA. <laughs> Greg Sankey reached out, and now I've, I've lost the tweet, but essentially said, I'm pretty busy with my job right now. <laughs> so I'm not. And I'm happy here. I'm busy leading. I'm, I'm, I'm unless, busy they're, leading. unless they're not happy with me, yeah. I'm happy. Well, and he, and he paraphrases, <laughs> but he says, I think that we have, before making a decision on who's going to have this role, we need to get together. There needs to be a panel of people, and those people need to be those who run conferences and those who run major athletic departments, and let's decide what this role is. Because the NCAA, as it previously existed with Mark Emmert in the lead, it no longer exists. I mean, I think we all have to come to the realization that 
that's not reality anymore. Um, George Klaivkov, I'm going to pronounce it that way and hope that it's right. Mm -hmm. He's the commissioner of the Pac-12. I think he said something that's really, really interesting about what exactly is the NCAA. Uh, He talked about who should be the next president of the NCAA, and he said, it's a unicorn. It's a really difficult job. It's not an enviable one. I'm not sure anyone would want that job. Then he goes on to say, keep in mind, this is a guy who was working in sports wagering in casinos in Vegas before taking this job. He said, I think the NCAA is a trade organization which currently represents schools that are in completely different businesses and completely different business models. I can't imagine any trade organization as broad as the NCAA and its current structure remaining intact. So the important part of that is, and he's right, the NCAA is overseeing such a broad array of sports, schools, and programs that aren't even playing the same sport. And when I say not playing the same sport, I mean business-wise, it's different. This is why we are getting to the Power Five or Power Six in basketball or whatever you want to call it. They're going to have to break off and manage themselves. Those that can spend, those that can offer financial inducements through NIL to players are going to have to govern themselves because you cannot... You cannot govern Eastern Illinois lacrosse or Eastern Illinois volleyball the same way you do Alabama football. We've known this for years, and now everyone's coming to this realization. I I think it goes from, uh, you know, and this is kind of NCAA's last chance, and I, I don't know if it happens I, I or not, to, to invent itself as, as, a, as, a, as a thing. And I think it has to go from an umbrella – like you're saying, Chad, to, to silos. Um, Dana O'Neill, who writes at The Athletic, whose work I've respected for a long time, she covers college basketball. She threw out some names that were kind of different kind of thinkers. One that she threw out, and I'm not necessarily agreeing with the name, but I'm agreeing with her rationale for the name, was Craig Robinson, who's head of the National Association of Basketball Coaches, coached at Oregon State and Brown, uh, was an assistant at Northwestern, has been in the private sector. But her Michelle Obama's brother. Yeah. Her rationale for him as a candidate is that he's spearheaded for a long time conversations about having NCAA structures that allow individual sports to govern themselves. So if you had a guy that came in there and said, here's the way we need to do it, and it needs to be structured this way that we've talked about, that Chad just talked about and created these silos where things structured themselves, then the NCAA would maintain some kind of chance to still be a, a part of governing. Otherwise, I think the NCAA is just going to, to fizzle, and these governing bodies that govern their own sports or brands of schools or whatever are going to rise and take power, and the NCAA is going to not exist as, a, as having any power. Yeah, I mean, I think the NCAA, there could be some form of the NCAA that governs all of the non-revenue generating sports. Those sports still give out scholarships. That's valuable. And that'd still be an important That's very position. valuable to the athletes that go and play at these non-revenue generating sports. They need to be governed also. There does need to be rules around those sports. I'm not saying throw them all away and only worry about the sports that make you money, but the sports that make you money have to be governed by someone over those sports. There needs to be a commissioner of college football at the highest level. There needs to be a commissioner of college basketball. If you are eligible to play in the Division I 
March Madness, college basketball tournament at the end of the year, there needs to be someone over that governing body that governs that sport. And if I'm looking at who is destined to fall and who is destined to rise, I say this, I'm, I'm not foreshadowing the death of college football or any of that, but college football is at the height of college sports. It's higher than college basketball. Yeah, unquestionable. There's going to be problems in college football. Um, mark it down. This is not going to be an easy transition with NIL money coming in and everything else going on. There is a lot of management and leadership that needs to take place in that sport to sustain their momentum and to sustain everything they've been doing. I think we're already seeing it, guys. Major college basketball is in good shape with these rules. And I'll give you an example. Armando Baycott, Caleb Love, going back to North Carolina. Oscar Shibway, going back to Kentucky. Your big programs in college basketball that can afford it, they're going to be set up where you're not going to have as many one-and-dones. You're not going to have two-and-dones. You're going to have guys who say, I'm borderline first round, and I'm going to come back and play at my school. That's going to help the college game because with a smaller roster, you can give more money. So these guys are going to collect. They're going to stay for that reason, and college basketball will be strengthened because you don't have 85-man rosters. I think it's, it's flying off the handle in college football. There are those that are ahead of the curve right now that are going to have to be restrained at some point, and those that are way behind, they're going to be left behind quickly, and I don't think it's great for the overall health of the sport. Someone's going to have to figure it out. Yeah, you've got to decide, is this transfer portal the way to go? Because when it created this way, right, it was, it was kind of temporary, and then it's become permanent. Well, it's not only permanent, it's, it's, you've got to have a complete staff that just looks at transfer portal in football and basketball. And is it good for the health of the game? There the are 18, agency? how about this? There are 350 some odd, 350 or 360 plus Division I men's basketball programs. There are 18 that didn't lose a transfer. 18 of those 360 have everyone coming back without a transfer. They have people graduating, but didn't lose one transfer. You got a kid at Wichita State today that put his name in the transfer portal two weeks ago that's now getting paid at Wichita State to stay. You're going to have a lot more of that. And you've got one program that got in trouble that lost its entire program. Well, in, and in LSU. Well, that, and that's, that's their own fault. And in regard to college football, still, I think I it's mean, totally it's fair. It's, 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 it's not great for the sport, but it's fair. I mean, uh, what, there are five Power Five programs right now, Arkansas being one of them, that didn't lose one of their coordinators or head coach this offseason? I mean, you're, that's not, that hasn't stopped. Yep. All the, uh, there's a constant churn of coaches that jump ship looking for a way out. Then there's Brian Harson who, you know, looked for a way out and couldn't find a raft, so he stayed where he was. You know, he doesn't want to be at Auburn. So, I mean, there's, the, the coaches were doing this constantly. The, the players should be able to do it too. You can, we, point, you can point to the, the coach that's making millions that will jump to make more and use their current program as leverage. I, I agree with you on that, but we've discussed, is there a potential unintended consequence that catches up to them in five years where fans get more detached from their programs because uh, nobody stays, or the turnover is so much that, uh, that the Maybe thing so, people but, used but to love is that just, you could watch a kid progress well, let's just through use, the four let's years use common isn't sense, there though. anymore. The, the Conference USA home, like if you're looking at the fan base of Conference USA, um, you can use Middle Tennessee as an example. Uh, we can go around the horn a bit if we need to and use other programs. What are they averaging 
for home attendance. Nothing. I mean, they're, they're struggling 15, as it is, even with even pre NIL and pre transfer portal. The SEC will continue to grow. Texas and Oklahoma, they come in in 2025. Um, there's no coincidence that a year and a half prior to all of that and the new television contracts, the NCAA looks to hire their next leader. Um, and the other tough thing about the silos is I don't think it'll be five or six silos. I think there'll be two or three. Yep. And the haves and the have-nots remain exactly the same on those silos. Yep. Middle can't complain because they couldn't make a budget work even whenever the rules were in their favor and they were keeping players. That's, and, and, and that's me being you know, a fan of that program. They have no reason to complain if you can't make money off of the athletics. It's not Tennessee's fault that MTSU can't make their budget no, work. I agree. Some of that stuff's going to drop off uh, eventually. Uh, but, you know, what's the rationale? But, well, but I, for those that say, oh, this is taking college sports in a different path, it's still the, the haves and the have-nots to me remain the same, and it's a matter of whether or not you can negotiate yourself into that tier of haves. And that's what Texas and Oklahoma have done. That's what others will do. The SEC's not stopping. They're not stopping at just adding Texas and Oklahoma. Um, it's whether or not you can negotiate yourself into that tier. And the tier, by the way, can combine multiple conferences into a power deal. Like it, I think that's been discussed for years. The question is, when does all that come about? Well, I think it's going to happen now. I mean, this is why Mark Emmert's stepping down. It's happening. Well, no, he's, he's stepping down because you, cannot have, you, you can't have reform, transformation and not trans, transform that office. You can't transform college sports and how you govern without transforming how you define what he does. And if he's going to be a mute up in Indianapolis, it serves no one. He it's, was asked. It he serves was asked no one. But down. but uh, we need new blood. Going back, it's not just it's new blood, blood. It's different blood. It's different organization, and that's what Greg Sankey's saying. It's not just let's go hire the best candidate. It's let's sit down and figure out what the NCAA needs to do. Yeah, moving change forward. the job because change the we're not playing by NCAA rules. The, the NCAA rules do not apply right now with NIL. So what does NIL mean? How do we regulate it? Let's talk to the heads of these major universities that have huge athletic departments. Let's talk to top football coaches. Let's talk to top basketball coaches. Hutton, the MTSUs of the world, I'm with you. I'm not even thinking about them in this. They're gone. Well, They're the- at a different level of NCAA sports now, the way things are evolving. Right. Now I think they should embrace that. I think it's I think it's also smart to ask the question: What's best for the sport and the quality of it? I say it all the time. What's the most enjoyable, best sport for the fan out there that everybody watches? It's the one that has the worst CBA for the players, and that's the NFL. It's not. It wasn't fair before that coaches could do whatever they want, and it is more fair for the individual that players now can basically do whatever they want, and it's the wild, wild west from a financial standpoint. But you got a lot of people also arguing the NFL draft's not fair. In a free market society, you go and take the highest bidder and go whatever team you want. You don't get slotted. You don't go and say, all right, well, I'm going to go pro now. I guess I have to go to Buffalo because they drafted me. You don't have to do that. Eli Manning chose not to do that, and it worked out for him. Yeah, it's one guy in 25, 30 If you don't want to be at a team, they won't draft you. You can make it known. Well, and that's that's what I would say to someone who's upset about coaches leaving. If you don't play major college football, go do something else. And you're out of it. There's rules in every league is my point. Well, uh, I'm not saying the players though, shouldn't get paid. The difference in college sports is the Supreme Court's backing them. You can't have a salary cap in college sports right now because player X can say, my name, image, likeness is worth more in year two than it was in year one. Therefore, I'm going to get paid more 
deal with it. And there's nothing the programs can do about it. They can accept as much money as they want. Well, they've got to figure something out. And I'm not saying take money away from the players. I'm just saying there's got to be some sort of regulation uh, with all of it. Just like there's regulation for every major business out there. And just like the NFL is regulated. And I'm not someone saying the NFL draft should be blown up. I love the NFL. I love the way it's structured. And guys make a ton of money to go play in the NFL. Guys are making a ton of money to play college sports right now when they're the most talented guys out there in men's basketball, in college football, hell, in women's basketball. You got a pair of twins transferring to Miami. That's Instagram stars. They're gonna make millions going to Miami. They already I'm, were. I'm all for that. I mean, more power to you. But there has it can't just always be the wild, wild west. I think that's what Greg Sankey's saying. That's what everyone around college sports is saying. Is let's really get our arms around this and figure it out. What needs to be regulated and how do we regulate? But and you, I'm not you, saying you, you can fail. regulate how much they make. Because you can't, because the Supreme Court said you can't. But you can't regulate, Chad, until you have two to three silos instead of what they have right now, which is conference versus conference. And look, ultimately... That's where the Pac-12 would be smart, and they have been, to pair themselves and try try to get something going with the SEC. Um, You're you're seeing the the opposite with the Big 12. I think that's foolish. You know where I'm going here, though. Like, Sankey can, can... begin to regulate whenever it's actually set in stone or as good as we can see it for the foreseeable future. There's no telling what the next three years look like. Well, ultimately, the market will course correct itself. And if everything I'm saying leads to um, a downfall in people watching college football or caring as much about it because guys are only with a program for a year and then they bolt, then those players will be worth less money. And in years, they're not going to be making as much money or any money because less people are going to pay attention to watch college football. Yeah. And I don't know that that happens. I think we're a long way away from that, really impacting it to that extent. But eventually, it will course correct itself. Might be a year, might be 20 years. But we're going to find out what all this means. Hit us up on Twitter with your thoughts and takeaways from Emmert stepping down and what needs to be a part of the change of the NCAA fabric. Uh, you can follow us at Outkick360. Coming up, we get into some local ownerships of teams, plus we get into drafting injured but elite players. There are a handful of players that have either been flagged for medical concerns or are currently rehabbing from some serious injuries that have happened in recent months, but yet they could still go very high in tomorrow's first round, potentially early second round candidates as well. When is it worth the risk, and what type of reward do you need in return for it to be able to pay off in your favor? We'll get into that, plus hit the headlines of the day coming up on OutKick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. 
Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. The risk-reward of David Ajabo and Jamison Williams. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. So, Jamison Williams is a first-round pick. We know he tours ACL the, uh, the night of the national championship game in the first half. And... While it's not going to affect his first-round draft status, it could affect whether or not he's selected as the first wide receiver taken. Uh, healthy, he's a top-five pick. I mean, he, he's that good. Ajabo is still being mocked to uh, late in the first round, possibly to Kansas City, but towards Achilles in March while preparing for the NFL draft. But the traits and the rehab process is such as, you know, a a team may feel as though the value of where they could get him late in the first round compared to where he would be taken if he were healthy, which is a top 10 caliber player. The value is there to select him. If you can wait on the injured player, there's a huge risk reward in this. How would you guys approach it? Using this, this year's pool of players as the example, because you have, you know, you have a couple of a handful of receivers from Ohio State, Trey Burks, who is healthy and ready to go, and then Jamison Williams, who's coming off the ACL. Meanwhile, we may see back to back to back pass rushers drafted in the top three, and Ajabo with a torn Achilles is still potentially a first round pick. He's that good. Here's how I would handle it players that are injured going into the draft that are elite but injured are for the very good or the very bad. I think if you're very bad and you can wait on a prospect that you think is the top of that draft, like Jamison Williams, for instance, doesn't really matter what you do this year because you're going to have another high draft pick next year. You need pieces that, you know, he's going to be a number one receiver. This is going to be my number one receiver of the future, so I can wait on him. Or those that are very good that can allow for that extra punch to be packed late in the season when they come back because they feel like they're going to be okay and can sustain without him. I think if you're one of those 20 teams in the middle, let's say out of 32, that are might be pretty good, might be pretty bad, could be battling for a playoff spot, which is most of the NFL, I don't think you draft one of these guys that, uh, that, that comes in with those injury issues. Well, Jamison Williams, really late ACL tear. Mm-hmm. So what you're getting out of him this year isn't, isn't much. John Mechie. Same thing, really late. What two weeks earlier? Two weeks earlier than that, or three weeks earlier than that. Um, yep. So I, I, I'm skeptical of it. But look, if you approach it, the Tennessee Titans did this with Jeffrey Simmons, who and his was even later. His was a February torn getting ACL, ready getting draft. ready for the combine. Yeah, that's right. And the Titans were drafting at 19. And what John Robinson saw, as his medical people told him, look, his knee's going to be fine. It's just a matter of time. And he only wound up missing six games. And now, um, I think if you're rating interior defensive linemen, up-and-comers in in the league, Jeffrey Simmons is one of the top guys going into his fourth year. 
you're feeling pretty good. You sacrificed six games. Well, in the big picture, six games, you know, in that, in that first season, six games felt like a lot. In the span of his career, six games doesn't feel like that much. If he stays healthy the rest of the way, which he has so far, and he progresses the way he has, where he's uh, a game wrecker against the run and against the pass, you feel like, hey, I got a guy at 19 who should have gone fifth. That's a, a smart strategy. Now, can you overdo it? They did it with Caleb Farley last year. The Titans, again, he had two back procedures. He had a shoulder injury early in the season. He tore his ACL a second time. So now you're not waiting on his injury that stalled him coming into the league. You're waiting on a new injury. His rookie season was a complete wash. His ACL second year isn't going to be ready for the beginning of the season. And now you're talking about uh, what? Uh, 14 missed games as a rookie and missed games at the beginning of the year, and all of a sudden now there's a diminishing return on just the number of games you get out of his rookie contract. Look, I'm not a doctor also, but let me add to what I said and what you're saying about that. I'm taking into account the injury. If someone has back issues already, they're off my board. Caleb Farley should not have been drafted a year ago. It's the back issue that concerns. It's not a torn ACL. Guys come back from torn ACLs. Or an Achilles. Just as good or better. Yeah. If you've got a history of pulling your hamstring multiple times over the course of your college career, more scared of that. I'm going to be a little bit more nervous than a torn ACL. Uh, back injuries for sure. What about the Achilles issue with Ajabo? A like, little so, bit scarier. Yeah, yep. yeah. And, uh, and, yep. But not, not everyone's Terrell sucks, right? Like, yeah. yeah. The miraculous recovery. Um, but the, the argument with Kansas City drafting, they have back-to-back picks right now at 29 and 30. And he's being mocked at one of those two picks. Who is uh, a Jabo oh, yeah. to Kansas City I, as a I pass do rusher. It there. But the, the, the argument is for them, well, they're, they're already, they already look to the playoffs anyway. And based on the timetable of recovery of when his injury occurred, they could get him back around, the, around playoff time of next year. And so you add a pass rusher to the mix. Um, I, I still think it's a risk, and it, it, you you use the extra first round pick on a top ten caliber talent that you feel like you can rehab and get him ready for not really this year or even the playoff run. Who knows? But it's about twenty twenty three. But Chad, you're on to something with the the really good versus very really good bad. or very bad. And by the way, Kansas but, City fits that formula for me. Sure, it does. The very good that can wait on a guy like he's him. not going to last. Uh, Jamison Williams isn't going to last. No. for them. I would. I would. I'm take, talking about a job. He's talking about yeah. a job, not Williams. Yeah, I would take um, Garrett Wilson probably and uh, Drake London before Williams high, and and then I would. I think Williams would be the third guy where you'd say. He's he's the wait for him is going to be worth it before I get to the next guy, Alave or whoever that is. But if he was healthy, is he is he the sixth guy in this draft? Is he the fifth guy in this draft? Maybe. I, yeah, I think he could be top five. James yeah. Williams. Yeah. yeah, I think he's a top five. He's pick a jet. If he's healthy, and he's yeah. going to the Jets at four. That's that's what I would think. That speed is uh, other otherworldly, and everybody's looking to take the top off, and. Um, I, I just I it is a massive gamble, no matter which way which way you view this, because if you pass on Williams, who is a number one wideout at his best in the league, uh, the ceiling I'm talking about, you you can't pass on that player, right? Like there's more guarantees with him than there are risks, uh, but you have to be able to 
not have much impact from him year one. Yeah, Even you're giving when he comes up conceivably back, a quarter of his contract. If yes, yeah, exactly. That's that's the thing. Exactly. You know, so you're giving up a quarter of his contract in exchange for Garrett Wilson or in exchange for Drake London. That seems like a big thing to give up. Even if it's a fifth of his contract, you know, a fifth-year option. I think it's it's probably not a smart move to have hard and fast rules if you're a team about prospects. Positionally also, a lot well, receivers are different than Jeffrey Simmons who's operating largely Je- in a phone Jeffrey board. Simmons in his situation, you cross countless other guys off your list because they don't match the talent and potential of, of, in size, right, and athleticism of Jeffrey Simmons. So if I'm a GM, I'd never make it just a hard and fast rule every time. But case by case. if I'm the Chargers, I'm not drafting a guy that doesn't help me immediately. If I'm the Chiefs, I'm more okay drafting a guy with two first-round picks back-to-back, one guy that might help me late in the year or next season. Again, it's about where you are as a franchise. If I'm the Detroit Lions, I would seriously consider Jamison Williams because this year doesn't matter. You're going to be bad. You're going to draft high again next year. Again, very bad or very good. If I'm, and most of the teams are in the middle in the league. Hutton, I feel like you've talked about this before, about all of those teams that you could make an argument for making the playoffs every year, right? That's why the league's so good, because so many people have some hope going into a season. If I'm one of those teams where I'm not quite sure what I am, not quite sure that I'm going to make the playoffs, but I have a chance, I'm going with a guy who can help me right away. Hit us up with your thoughts on Twitter at Outkick360. You can chime in on the chat with uh, YouTube as well. Just search out Outkick360. Uh, Derek Henry is uh, a new part owner of Nashville SC, the MLS team uh, in Nashville. And uh, the trend of adding a celebrity or pro athlete uh, to the ownership group of Team X in order to boost the overall perception of that team in your market. Um, the celebrity and minor- minority ownership, it's either you're, you're using the name to boost your overall perception or you're actually a, a, a celeb who has some skin in the game because you want to invest and your investment is in sports and athletics. Reese Witherspoon, also on this list with Nashville SC, and John Ingram, the the super rich owner said it's not charity. They invested real money in this. That's good to know. I, I want to know percent, right? I want, I want to know either the dollars or the percent or ideally both that legitimizes it to me. So LeBron James invested about 12 years ago, $6.5 million in Liverpool, which is now worth $32 million. At least that tells me the substance. Um, Harden has 5% of the MLS Dynamo and the Dash in the, in the Women's League. That tells me something. Durant has 5% of the Philadelphia Union with 5% option for more. I like knowing these numbers. Chad, you looked that's it up. A big, that's a big percentage, by the way. Earlier, Timberlake has 2.84% with $5 million in the Grizzly through his investment firm. Yeah, so, but, and this is what's interesting. So Justin Timberlake, minority owner in the Memphis Grizzlies, it's his name on the bill, but it's 10-man sports LLC that is a 2.84% ownership stake. So is he just the front man with the celebrity ability and it's really guys with money? He's got money too, but guys with money behind him? Or is it him? That's where these things get confusing. And I reached out to Nashville SC on this and they just said, we're not going to disclose how much money's involved or what the stake is. 
Um, I think that delegitimizes I think it's it. smart, okay? I mean, I, it's easy to crush it as a publicity stunt, and I think some of these cases, it is a publicity stunt. You know, do I suspect that Reese Witherspoon owning an MLS team is a publicity stunt? Yes. I suspect that to be the case. Um, do I think that Reese Witherspoon has the money to invest in it? Yes, she did, according to John Ingram. I don't know what the number is, but can it be both? Right? I mean, isn't it good for all? Like, if you just wanted to have your name on an ownership stake of a pro sports team to say, I'm a, a part owner of a pro sports team, I happen to be a celebrity with money, everyone wins. Because we all now know we're never going to forget that Derrick Henry and Reese Witherspoon are part owners of Nashville SC. There's value in that. Peyton Manning's wife is a minority owner of the Memphis Grizzlies along with Justin Timberlake. Those things are hard to forget because we're never going to forget these celebrities' yeah. names. But if it's 1%, that's a lot different than 49% as a, min- a minority owner. And I think that, that we lose the distinction very quickly. Just say, oh, Derrick Henry's a minority owner of NSC. Wow. I mean, I, I, think it's, I think you're hard-pressed to – I mean, even the Pittsburgh Steelers have minority ownership. No, I, I, I and understand. And it's not 49%. No, Is I know. Is that discredited because you don't know the name of the guy attached to the Steelers? Well, the Pittsburgh Steelers are owned – uh, uh, first off, worth a ton more money. And at the time when these these owners bought in, they were not worth that amount of money. No, of course not. But, but that's that's what you're doing here. The two percent will grow over time as an investment. It will. But I, I just think when you're attaching celebrities, if you're not telling me how much, I think of it. It's more of a publicity thing, which, as Chad said, isn't a bad thing. But then people about, all talk about it. I don't. Legitimately. It's also an influx of cash that you're looking for in order to. Use that liquid for something specific after you just built a stadium. Like, I don't think the timing I, is I irrelevant. Here. I don't but think I, I John don't like- Ingram needs the money, and I don't think the team needs the money. But what the team – I view uh, – Nashville SC is the example. Nashville SC is a startup to me. They are a startup because they're moving into Geodis Park. First game is this weekend. They need attention on them. So just like I would pay someone if I owned a business to endorse my product – and people give percentage stakes in companies, startups, all the time to celebrities in order for them to endorse their product. I would be okay as a big money owner giving someone like Derrick Henry or Reese Witherspoon a percentage or at least a hometown discount. They may give me a little bit of money. I may give them a little bit more of a percentage, even if it's 2 or 3%, than what that money equates to. Because, Paul, I want Reese Witherspoon posting on Instagram about my games. I want them in a suite at the games. I want cameras going up and showing how much fun they're having at games. This is marketing 101. This is why I don't have a problem with it. If an owner wants to do that and someone's willing to take it, go right ahead. Doesn't make it overly legit like they're going to be making decisions about the club or anything, but if both sides are willing, I don't see a big issue with it. Here's my issue with it, to be more precise, like this, this ESPN article where I grabbed a bunch of these things that it's all lumped together. So Jordan with the Hornets and A-Rod with the T-Wolves and the Lynx or Harden that I just mentioned or Durant or LeBron, who we know probably all have the three of them we know for sure. The rest of them, Beckham and Inter Miami definitely has a big stake, is lumped in in, in a, uh, a lot of this with, with Derrick Henry and NSC now as if it's all just big athlete celebrity ownership. When David Beckham's got like huge skin in the game and this is his lifeblood now, 
David Beckham's ownership of that team is akin to Derrick Henry's playing for the Titans, not a side thing. And I, I don't like that it all gets mashed together. I think well, it should be how, more distinct. Then your issue is with Nashville SC for not disclosing information. Yeah, well, I'd like to they know. They could easily say if they wanted to, they gave a million dollars and they own this much of the team. Yeah, and they're, they're not, not ob- that. and they're not obligated to release it. But I, I don't like when somebody's got a tiny sliver and is cast as a, as a minority owner. But they are. <laughs> right. But the, to the same degree that, you know, uh, somebody else has, has but, a I mean, much more significant investment. If you're so is, dumb is as to think that, you know, this minority owner, that all of them own 49% of a team, then that's on the person that's hearing that. Yeah, well, what do we think about some of the people that are hearing that? I don't know. I haven't heard that. But again, I'm not assuming that people believe that. I mean, it's made perfectly clear that uh, I don't, they're, they're not the, some massive owner yeah, of John Ingram's National the owner. I don't, I don't know who believes that. But again, I don't know the names of most minority owners because they're not celebrities. Oh, right. So the ones that actually own a stake in it, they don't care for us to know their name because they're not celebrities. This is a celebrity play. It's a marketing play right. to me for these teams. I, I've got no problem with the teams doing it. I've got no problem with Reese Witherspoon or, or Derrick Henry or Justin Timberlake or Peyton Manning or anyone else doing it. I guess, Paul, what you're saying is you just want them to disclose how much. No, I'd like to know how, uh, how big a stakeholder you are. Serena Williams and Lewis Hamilton of the F1 circuit are involved in one of these bids to buy Chelsea. Are they there as figureheads to, to dress up the bid, or are they significant stakeholders in it? I, they can only be so big. Chelsea's worth several billion dollars. I'm not thinking Serena Williams, no matter how well she's done, is, is in the you know, huge billions of, of dollars to buy an EPL team. But you know, how much skin does she have in the game? I'll give you my little, my little bit of frustration with this is we had Dave Stewart in studio last week, and everyone wants to say, well, where's the money? Where's the money? What does this mean? you got all these big names that Justin Timberlake is a part of that Nashville Stars group, right? But what does it all mean? How much money do you have? I'm fine with people asking that question, but the same people asking that question saying this is trash are heralding Derrick Henry and Reese Witherspoon as minority owners of a team. When in, in actuality, they're advertisers. They're there to yes. market the team. They got a stake in return to be a big part of Nashville SC for as long as they're celebrities. And by the way, I'll say Derrick Henry's and that's a, fine. initial marketing thing was a four-second Twitter video. I thought they could have pumped that up a little bit more. So you want them to pump it up more, but you're ripping them for pumping it at all. Well, if what you're buying is them giving you pub, then go all out on, on the debut day. It's, it's him holding a soccer ball saying, what's up, Nashville SC? That's not very big. Well, I mean. I think he'll probably do more, I would hope, at yes. some point. He'll but probably the, be there for the opener. Yeah, but on the unveiling day of his attachment, I thought a four-second video was slim. Well, I don't know what, to be fair, I don't know what Nashville SC did. That's what Derrick Henry posted. Uh, on his own account. I, I don't know what all went into it. I know they had a press release that you know everyone reported. Um, and rightfully so. It's news. Well, and um, you're not doing this with – you're not investing in this unless you, you're going to look for some return on your investment. Sure. Um, this is no different than Marcus Mariota buying a penthouse condo in the, gulch. in the Gulch here in downtown and then selling it and making $3 million plus off of that condo penthouse whenever he left Nashville. It's a great investment. He didn't need the full penthouse, but he bought it at the certain price because he had the money to do it. 
and then he sold whenever the, the market value went way up. I mean, to me, this is no different than what Henry's doing with Nashville SC, which if you're going to buy in right now with wherever the, well, I don't know what they're worth, whatever they're projected through Forbes, they have a brand new stadium opening up, but they haven't played a single home game yet. Open and Sunday. they're growing progressively whenever you know you start to look three, four years down the road. Now's the time to buy in if you're going to. Not later when I, it's going to cost you I more would to love, jump in at the same value. I would love to know how much they're spending and how much they own. Um, I also think that some of this could be sort of an NIL type deal where they're given part I, of it don't know why turn you, to market it. I don't know why you do that right now. You don't need Derrick Henry pushing your product when you haven't opened up your brand new stadium yet. The, the stadium's going to sell out, and you're going to have buzz around it to begin with. Yeah, you're at the peak. If you needed that, you needed it You, you either need it two well, years you ago need it, or you, you need, need it two years from now. now. Yeah. Not right now. But there's a reason Derrick Henry and Reese Witherspoon are the ones. There's a lot of people who have a million dollars to give to them. There's a reason those are the two. Celebs, yeah. Yeah, because it, it's in part because they can well, market it. And it. it's not just them and John Ingram either. I mean, the, the Wilf family has part ownership of Nashville SC. Right. The owners of the Minnesota Vikings. Hutton, I'm saying when they put out a press release about it, they're putting out a press release about Reese Witherspoon and, and Derrick Henry. And were they the only two or were there others that weren't mentioned? That's the only two that I saw. We, in my don't, we don't know. My guess is those are the two that bought in. I, I don't know why they wouldn't announce some other partnerships, even if they're business-related. But there's a reason that those two are a part of it. Because uh, of their celebrity. Uh, and again, like... It, it, you, so those are the only two celebrities that wanted to buy in. Like, I, I don't, I, I think it's very strategic at the same time. I think maybe they're willing to meet a certain, I think it's very strategic money. in that they were probably two of the only celebrities approached by the team to buy into the team. Well, I, I, if you're just handing out NIL, I don't know why you don't go to Luke Bryan or Jason Aldean or someone I'm like that. I'm not saying it was all handing it out. And maybe they said, no, they, they, they have a lot of other investments. And they could have gone to more people, and these are the two that said yes. I'm just saying they didn't put out an open call to anyone with a million dollars to buy into a stake with a team, celebrity or not. That didn't happen. And they went to them for a reason and probably went to others for a reason. And they don't need an open call. They're, they're extremely valuable right now as the ownership group sits. Like I, You're I also, opening up the brand-new stadium where you don't need it, – it's going to promote itself. Okay, well, let's say it's a million dollars apiece. I don't think John Ingram needs $2 million from them either. There's a reason those two are in the press no, release. But it, it's, there's, there's people that have a very good business that need cash on hand, and you buy into the cash on hand uh, to get cash immediately that you can spend in marketing efforts or whatever you're going to do and not have to liquidate some other company and uh, investment that you made if you're John Ingram down the street. You take the 1% and you get Derrick Henry involved, and it makes sense well, on both sides instead of, doing something with another company that you're a part owner of and getting cash on hand and then put into the, the other company, Nashville SC, that you own. We're going to or have, asking the Wills for more money. We're going to have to agree to disagree that their celebrity status didn't play into this at all. Well, their celebrity status plays into the money that they have in order to invest. And of course. it helps them market. And it helps them but, uh, on but this. The, the NIL, both sides. The NIL aspect where they're, they're using their, their name, image, likeness in return for getting 2% or whatever it is makes fun, zero financial sense for I'm National not say, Hutton, I'm not saying that they got it for free. I'm saying they got a discount. You could give someone a million, and that million's not worth 1%, but I'll give you 1% because you're Reese Witherspoon, and you're going to help us out on the marketing end too. So you're going to earn that extra percentage that's over the million dollars you gave. 
It's not straight NIL, but it's marketing. I, I don't look at it and automatically think, well, this is just a publicity stunt. I mean, it, it's a very valuable piece of a pro sports league that is growing across the country, and it's actually a expansion franchise here that is working unlike what we're seeing down in Miami. That's the one where it would be a publicity stunt if David Beckham's selling off pieces of that. More coming on Outkick 360. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. A little rapid fire, primary complaint on Outkick 360. Mine is really simple, guys. The Monterey operating system for Apple computers. I have never had a slower product after doing an update since I threw away my iPhone 4S than the computer I'm currently using due to the update and upgrade, quote-unquote, that they sent me this past weekend. That's my primary complaint. My primary complaint is a company asking me to make an invoice for something (laughs) I did for them. This is going on with a very, very well-known television network right now. Not the one that I work for. (laughs) A different one that I licensed out a tweet to and a photo to that wants me to make a digital invoice and find a template for it and send it back to them. That's my primary complaint. That's actually pretty common, unfortunately. Uh, My primary complaint, Dick's Sporting Goods. No, I don't want a $3 warranty to go with $12 pair of batting gloves for my son. I'm not a warranty guy when I buy a TV. I sure as hell don't want one for a pair of batting gloves. Why are you asking me? Yeah, that's because they're looking for that one sucker. You got to be a sucker. A warranty on everything now. You want a warranty on that meal? I love a warranty on my computer right now. Yeah. I know that. I'm not don't, up. Don't do the no, update. It is a sabotage, which I've already done with their phones. They've done it to my computer as well. Headlines when we return. We've got just around the corner Trey Wallace, but a little NFL draft headline. Factor fiction, starting with quarterback and trade up, but not the Steelers. Next.